Good morning. Many years ago, I was a, a young believer, and I listened to a message that was preached that shocked me and made me tremble. It was a scandalous message. It was this. The teacher was saying, and sort of, this was sort of his point, was that there is a limit to how much sin God can handle. And if you cross that limit, he's going to destroy you. His patience is only so thin. And he was using the Bible to back up this message. And I was, I was pretty, pretty frightened. And immediately I was thinking, did I cross the line? Did, did, I, did I commit too much sin that, that God won't forgive now? Or what, what about the future? And all of these questions started to come up. Now, I want you to know that, that that message is false. That's not true. The idea that God only allows a certain amount of sin, a finite amount of forgiveness, before he's fed up with you, you know, sort of like a, an angry parent who just flies off the handle once they reach the limit, that's not God. That's not true, and that's not what the Bible says. What we're going to see today as we continue in our, our journey through the Gospel of Mark is quite the opposite. We're going to see Jesus in his word and in his actions proving the opposite of that. That he is giving, loving, caring, forbearing. He wants to call all men, all sinners to himself. We're going to see that all sin is forgiven. You, know, you may have run away from God 10,000 miles but you're only one step back to him. You cannot outrun his grace and his forgiveness. Yet I think that where this is gonna, the rubber is going to meet the road here this morning is that we tend to think of God that way as the preacher preached that false message, that, that somehow our performance matters in our status with God, that we have to you know, keep, keep below that threshold or God's going to take us out or, or we'll, just, we'll never get forgiveness. And we have a misunderstanding of God's grace and, and how committed Jesus is to saving us. If you look at the title in your outline, it says, The One Sin That Will Never Be Forgiven. My hope and prayer for you this morning is that you will fall more in love with Jesus because you'll understand how great his forgiveness is and how much he is willing to go to save you. And that the only thing that's going to stop you from receiving forgiveness is your refusal to follow him. Turn your page, uh, your Bible to page 544, if you have one of the church Bibles. We're in Mark chapter 3, starting verse 7. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for our time together this morning. Help us to see Jesus very clearly and understand who you are uh, and how we can respond to you. Amen. All right, chapter 3, verse I'm going to read the whole section here up to verse 35, and then we'll walk through it together. Verse 7, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Edomia, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on a mountain and called to him all those who he desired, 
And they came to him, and he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonagerez, that is, the sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then they went home, and a great crowd gathered so that they couldn't even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he cast out demons. And he called to them and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then he indeed may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all the sins will be forgiven to the children of man and whoever blasph- and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. And his mothers and brothers came, and standing outside they said to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. There's a lot going on in this passage. There's essentially four themes. There's the crowd, the beginning. There's Jesus going up on the mountain to appoint the twelve disciples. There's his family that is sort of bothered by him, so they go to get him. And then there's this interaction uh, with the scribes. We're going to go through each one of these, and the whole context is going to set us up to understanding how great Jesus is and this, this one sin that won't be forgiven. First, let's take a look at how Jesus cares. If you look at the outline, I have some work for you to do. There's some blanks you need to fill in. How does Jesus care? Two things. The first one is that Jesus chooses to serve when it's uncomfortable. Last week, we ended the section in verse 6 that, that ends with this conspiracy to go kill Jesus with the religious leaders and and some of the other uh, political uh, forces of the time. Yet despite all this, Jesus goes out into public to minister. And the author makes a point in verse 7 to to say that Jesus is actually pretty popular. Like, all these people from all around, hundreds of miles around, are coming out to see him. And there are so many people, in verse 9, that there's the fear that they're going to be crushed. There's going to be so many people, so many crowds, there's the fear of, of crushing. So Jesus says, get a boat ready. And, and being crushed by a, a group of people is no fun. I remember when I was reading this, I, it made me think back to a, a concert back in the you know, quote-unquote good old days, where I was close, up, close enough to this popular band, and it was so crowded up near the mosh pit that you couldn't even stand. You're stepping on people's feet. And people are stepping on your feet. It was awful. So you don't want to be, be crushed by people. But that's the kind of thing that Jesus had to deal with. Verse 20, another one. There's such a great crowd that Jesus and the disciples couldn't even eat. 
So you get a sense for there's a lot of people around them, and there's a lot of personal space being violated here. Yet Jesus doesn't go home and, and, and just you know go away, get some, some me time. He perseveres in ministering to all the people. You can see verse uh, 10 and 11, he heals people and teaches them. In verse uh, 11 and 12, he tells the evil spirits to stay quiet so he can minister more effectively. Jesus really cares for people. He really cares. And these are just a few examples of his commitment to serve despite being uncomfortable. Now, consider that he's telling the evil spirits what to do. He has the authority to do that. If you had the authority to do that, would you put up with some of these things? You know, would I'd probably say, you know, but I need my personal space here. I need to eat. I need to eat dinner before we go out and you know meet up, or something like that. But Jesus doesn't. Why does he do this? We're going to read this later on in, in Mark, but in in 10:45, you can almost say this is Jesus' mission statement. Mark 10:40 or Mark 10 verse 45. For the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. This is what Jesus was about, was going towards men and giving his life as a ransom for many, to take away sins, all sin, once and for all. What does this mean for us today? Jesus had all authority, yet he served through uncomfortable situations and moved towards people. What about us who don't have that authority? You know, I think we, uh, if you're like me, you struggle with the, you know, not my job mentality, like someone else will do it. Have you guys seen the picture of the, uh, uh, the, the line, when the line painting crew had just gone through and, and the title says, not my job? It's the roadkill, you know, some poor animal didn't make it across the street. And then it was time for the line painting crew to go through and you could just see the double yellow lines right over the body. You know, not my job. Someone else will do it. But Jesus didn't say that. He went out and served when it was uncomfortable. He, he didn't have that mentality. So for us, consider, who are the unserved people around you? How can you follow Jesus' example to serve even when it's uncomfortable? And maybe something you don't want to do. Maybe there's some, a need that you're aware of. We all have needs all around us and ways we can serve other people. I think this point, this point is particular... Uh, has particular significance for our church. Uh, if you don't know, there are no paid staff here at Grace Fellowship uh, for many, many years. We've been all volunteers. And I think that's pretty awesome. I'm just so thankful that so many of you are willing to sacrifice your time and energy to serve the body of believers here. Uh, and uh, I just want to say thank you. You're following in the footsteps of Jesus and serving and, and many times in uncomfortable situations. Uh, and I want to encourage you that if you want to get more involved, please talk to an elder or somebody here um, and, and ask, hey, how can I serve the church? So Jesus cares and moves towards people. What about your second blank? Jesus cares by training more leaders to care. Verse 13 says that he went up on a mountain, and that's a sort of a a typical uh, marker, if you will, of a very important event in the Bible. You know, Moses went up a mountain to get the Ten Commandments. So Jesus goes up on the mountain, and this is, this is an important moment. He chooses his 12 apostles, and, and this is, um, uh, it has practical purpose, because he's going to teach these men and invest in them. 
but it also has symbolic purpose. This, this is the new Israel. This is the new kingdom. This is the new way that Jesus represents because the Savior is now here. Why did he choose them? Well, it says that he chose them to be with him that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He chose these men. The author gives us a list of their names, and some of their names get changed, and maybe a brief description of a couple of them. But probably the most striking is the last one, verse 19. The last guy on the list is Judas Iscariot, and it says, Who betrayed him? Wow. Out of this group comes a traitor. Yet Jesus perseveres with serving all of these men, even someone who's going to hurt him later on. Wow. How does Jesus show care? Well, he invests deeply in these men to multiply his care. You know, he had all the authority, and he could have just kept it to himself. You know, why entrust it to these people? You know, why put up with their quirks, their weirdness, their, their fussiness, their, their problems? But he does even when they doubt, or even when they turn around and hurt him. He perseveres to invest in these men so they could tell other people about Jesus and his grace. And notice that his focus here is on people. What does he tell the demons to do? Be quiet. What does he tell the people to do? Tell about me. So he, he wants people to tell other people. He's very people-focused. He's very long-suffering. He's very patient. That's who Jesus is. Now, this section gives us great comfort, or at least it should, because you might fear your past sin or future sin or like what's going to happen, but that shouldn't stop you from coming to Jesus. He is the one who wants all men and women to come to him. He wants you to tell other people about his mercy and his grace. He doesn't want the demons to do it. He wants you to do it. You know, think about who was the person that took a risk to talk to you about Jesus? Who has God put in your path? He wants people to tell other people. So that's how Jesus multiplies his care. He wants us to, to let other people know, and he gives us this mission to do it. He's very focused on serving humanity, even when it's uncomfortable for him. All right, that's our first major point. Let's move on to our second one. You see in your outline, it's titled, Avoid the Eternal Sin by Doing God's Will. Does that sound ominous enough? Well, I, uh, I hope you're not worried, because we're going to get into this in this text and figure out what does this mean? What do these two phrases mean, eternal sin and doing God's will? And I, I hope that at the end you'll have a greater appreciation of who Jesus is and an understanding of these things. First, we need to look at Jesus and understand the context. So your first blank there is observe the opposition. Observe the opposition. Verse 20, because of the crowd, there were so many people that gathered, they couldn't even eat. And it says that Jesus' family, when they heard about this, they went out to seize him because they said, he is out of his mind. That doesn't say all of the motive there, but 
You know, did they go because they feared for his life, maybe? Maybe they heard about the death threat and they were like, we got to go save him. Maybe they were afraid of the family reputation. Hey, this guy's dragging our name in the mud by all this crazy stuff. Maybe they felt like he had such a good upbringing and now he's ruining his own life. He's throwing it away, doing all these things. We don't know. What we do know is that they were troubled enough that they wanted to seize him and they were determined to go get him. That's how this section starts. Then the theme changes to these scribes in verse 22 who come down from Jerusalem. Now, presumably Jesus is in, is in Capernaum at this point. That's his headquarters. So this is over 100 miles away. So these leaders from the capital city take time out of their busy schedules to walk more than 100 miles to find out where Jesus is and to give an important message to Jesus and everybody else who's listening. You want to know what that message is? It's in verse 22. Jesus is not who he thinks he is, people. He is visible, the prince of demons. He is doing Satan's will. He's not of God. That's their explanation of what's going on. Notice that they don't dismiss Jesus' authority. They don't say, hey, it's all been a fake. It's all been a charade. They say, no, there's nothing behind the curtain. He's not faking it. He is a fraud. He is God's enemy. Like, he really is driving out demons, but he's doing it because of Satan's power. So, Jesus is getting some fierce opposition here from the very two groups that you would think and expect would be the first ones to fall at his feet. His own family and the people that have been studying the Bible their whole lives. So he gets some opposition, fierce opposition. And it's the backdrop backdrop for understanding our point here. Let's look at the eternal sin. So there's this accusation that these guys give that he is the prince of demon and that's how he's doing all these things. And Jesus responds, he says in verse 23, he said to them, in parables, how can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but it's coming to an end. So, the logic here is pretty simple, I would say. You got to look at Guys, that doesn't make any sense. Satan doesn't go take out his own people, like his servants. It's like, you don't go take out your own guys. They're on your side. Like, that doesn't make any sense. What does make sense, though, is that someone stronger than Satan shows up, and he can just tell them what to do. Just like this analogy of the strong man. If you have a strong man's house, you have to be stronger than the strong man to go in and tie him up, and then you rob his house. Kind of funny that Jesus gives that analogy. But that means that Jesus is stronger than Satan. And he's bound him. And he's plundering his house. And he can do whatever he wants. So Jesus is telling them, I am not Satan's messenger. I'm not doing his will. 
I am doing the Father God's will. That's who I am serving. And I'm plundering Satan's house. That takes us up to verse 27. Jesus isn't done there answering these guys. He drops the bomb in verse 28. I mean, I think it's the bomb. It's thermonuclear with plutonium core. Bomb. Verse 28, he says, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. Did you see the word all there? All. All means what? All. It doesn't mean like a little bit or a portion. It means all. All things will be forgiven. All sins will be forgiven. This means you don't earn favor with God. It means there's no scale mentality where your good outweighs the bad and you'll find out when you get to heaven, you know, when you die. It means that all sins will be forgiven by Jesus. It means that if you're fearful or apprehensive or anxious about your sin, you can find comfort in these words by Jesus. This is the verse you want to hear. You know, consider what Jesus could have said. He could have said, well, do the good people really get in? Or those who try hard will be forgiven. He doesn't say anything like that. He says that all sin will be forgiven. And he wants these guys to know that that's true. But there's a catch. Verse 29. There's a catch. There is one sin that will not be forgiven, for which there is no provision that God will make or Jesus will make for this sin. And Jesus explains what it is. Verse 29. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. How do you think these guys responded to that? It doesn't really tell us. I'd like to think that they were like, that's great news that all sin is forgiven. But I doubt they responded that way. The text says that Jesus said that to them because they were saying, in verse 30, that he had an unclean spirit. Remember, their attack is generally saying, he is of Satan, that's how he's doing his power, that's whose will that he's doing. This is not of God. So that's why Jesus responds this way. So what is the eternal sin? And are you afraid that you may have committed it? Well, here's why we needed to look at the context to understand what's going on here. The eternal, the unforgivable sin is the sin that these men are committing right there at that moment. And it's this. It's that the Messiah who's come to earth with all authority and power yet doesn't use it all. He perseveres through discouragement, through difficult relationships, invests in messy people to spread his word, and to ultimately to suffer and die on their behalf, even those that will hurt him. And these people, these men, call him Satan. That is the sin that will not be forgiven. The sin that won't be forgiven is the sin of unbelief. If Jesus, if you don't go to him for your rescue, he won't force you to get in the rescue boat. If the ship is sinking and you're on the Titanic and the rescue boats have come, 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 and you don't want to go, he's not going to force you. But he will offer complete forgiveness if you do come. 
So these men say, no, I don't want you to be my savior. And that's their choice. So if you do not believe that Jesus is the savior of your sin, you have no hope. You have no other option. You know, maybe maybe you, you think of Jesus as a fraud. You're like, yeah, I don't know. Or maybe you don't think of him as a fraud. Maybe you think of him, you know, he's, he's more like a friend or like a buddy. Or maybe you think of him as, as uh, you know, the big guy upstairs. Or maybe he's a nobody. Like, 2,000 years ago, I don't, it doesn't matter to me today. Or maybe something in between. But unless he is your Savior, your Lord, you will not receive forgiveness of sin. There's a lot of beauty here in this verse. Because Jesus says that all sin will be forgiven. And you know what the funny thing is? Even sin blaspheming against the Holy Spirit will be forgiven. Because he said, blasphemies will be forgiven. If you come to him and you receive his grace. This is our Savior. He saves us from all of our sins. He has made a provision for each one of us to come to him. Do you come to him? Do you realize how much he has saved you? How much God moves toward you to rescue you? I've been trying lately to, to, to make the first thing I think about in the morning is how much I've been saved and to try to start my day on that path. What about you? You dwell on how much God has loved you and how much he's moving toward you. Finally, on this point, it's, it's interesting, again, that Jesus tells the, the demons to be quiet and not say anything. But Jesus is so, so awesome. He doesn't even tell these guys who are, who are calling him Satan to shut up. He perseveres. He tells them the truth and gives them an opportunity to repent. Amazing. What about God's will? Number two, verse 35. You know, sometimes the phrase God's will uh, can be you know, very heavy. I'm sure thousands of books have been written on that phrase. And it can conjure up maybe fear and uncertainty. And how could any man know the mind of God and what he wants? I don't even know what's going to happen in like 10 minutes from now. So, even though we can't completely understand God's mind, at least in this passage, Jesus is going to demystify it a little bit and make it very clear for us what it means to do God's will. So our last scene is this scene where Jesus is teaching in a house and his family shows up. Remember at the beginning, they, they hear about all these crowds and they're like, we're going to go get him. We're going to go seize him. And so they show up here in, in some way to kind of prevent him from doing something. And Jesus responds with saying, who are my mother and my brothers? Verse 34, looking about those who sat around him, he said, here are my brothers, or my mother and my brothers. So whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. I would think that that's probably, that was probably a pretty shocking response, one that they didn't um, expect if you were sitting there. You know, hey, your parents are, you know, your mom and your brothers are outside. These are my real family. You might think, well, Jesus is dissing his mom and his brothers. And how rude. But I think if you think that, you're missing the point of what's going on here. Jesus, uh, or the author gave us the motive that they went out to seize him. 
Or in other words, they went out to block his mission. And Jesus, being Jesus, needs to go on that mission. He needs to save mankind from their sin. So it might look, maybe on one hand, that they're going to care for him, but I think what Jesus is hinting at is that, no, they don't care enough. They need to hear this message. They need to receive forgiveness from me. And they need to be at my feet. He says, those are the ones who are my family, who realize that they need my forgiveness and help and my rescue. Jesus says, verse 35, whoever does the will of God is my brother, mother, and sister. It's those people that are sitting there at his feet, listening to him teach, asking him questions, talking with him. But it's not only them, it's all of those whose hearts have laid, put their hearts laid at the feet of Jesus to do the same. That is God's will. God's will is that your heart be laid at Jesus' feet. And those are his family. His will is that you be a part of God's family. His will is that you receive forgiveness for all of your sins. That is God's will. That's what he wants. For you to be a part of his family. Pretty awesome. What does this mean for us? So it is God's will for us to be a part of his family. It means that if you come to him in faith, you will receive complete forgiveness of your sin. All sin will be forgiven. It means that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. And Jesus will not turn away anyone who comes to him in faith. He makes that promise in the Word. Many years ago, I heard someone say that everyone needs to get a degree from the University of Jesus' feet. And at first I thought, Pretty weird. Kind of a weird image. But it's true, right? Like, where do you go for definition in your life? Where do you go to make sense of things? To go for meaning? To make, how does this world fit together? Where do you go to learn the definition of all sin being forgiven? You have to go to Jesus. You have to spend time with him and sit at his feet. Only he can provide you with all those answers and provide you with forgiveness. He is so good. I think our struggle, if you believe in Jesus, often is believing how good this actually is. Like, is this really true? Is it really that good? I think that's our struggle. You know, your family may criticize you for your belief in Jesus. We have to look to Jesus. You know, his family had a hard time with him as the Messiah. Your leaders and your friends may call you crazy. He's gone loco. He believes in Jesus. You know, Jesus had it much worse. You may be tempted to hold on to your reputation, to your image. You may be tempted to just live comfortably all the time and not venture outside of what you, you know because maybe it might hurt or maybe I won't like it. I know I suffer, or that's certainly a huge temptation for me. But like we saw in this passage, Jesus wants 
people to tell other people about him. And then finally, you may be tempted to think that you committed a sin that God cannot forgive. Like, I've done this a thousand times. How could God forgive me? But that one was so big, so ugly. How could God forgive that? But if you do start to think that, remember the definition of all. All sin will be forgiven. That's why Jesus came. That's what his mission was about, to save you and I. That is God's will. Come to him. Put your faith in him. It is a daily practice that we believe in him and that we rejoice with what he's doing in our lives. And to reject him is to reject everything that he is about. Let's wrap up. I hope that it's clear that you understand everything that we've been sharing that I've been sharing this morning. That there's one sin that will not be forgiven. It's not like a, a whoopsie that you did one time or you know maybe I blasphemed against the Holy Spirit in my sleep. You don't even realize it. You know, it's not like that. It's not coming to Jesus. It's not allowing him to be the Savior and Lord of your life. As we saw, he is long suffering, he is caring. He wants you to come to him. And when your heart comes alive in praise and you realize how much you've been forgiven, you don't want to leave his side. You want to stick with him. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word this morning and showing us who Jesus really is and the awesome forgiveness that he gives us. We don't deserve it. And we struggle with with, uh, with doubt, with um, with fear, with distraction. Help us to live every day in the light of your glorious gospel and grace, realizing that there is only one life that we have been given, and you have given us a rescue uh, from our sin, that we may know you, see reality as it is, be a part of your kingdom. And join you in heaven one day. Amen.